Mom's trying to record a podcast. I'm busy right now. I can't give you emotional labor. and welcome to the fifth episode of Literary Liberation. Today we'll be discussing a book that both of us have only heard about through TikTok, Masters of Death by Olive B. Blake. I think that's how you say your name. We just launched our Patreon, so you can find us on patreon.com slash literary liberation podcast for unedited versions of the podcast. You can find more literary liberation content on TikTok and Instagram at literary liberation and on Twitter at litlibpodcasts. I'm Kristen, and you can find me at KRXXTXN on all social media platforms. And I'm Mariah, and you can find me at HungryRye on all social media platforms as well. Oh, before we get too into this, we also need to mention me and Mariah will be on a podcast coming out this October 25th. We will be on Left of the Projector for the people under the stairs since this will go out on the 19th. It'll be like a couple so it's like days before. First official collaboration with Evan. Yes. Left of the projector. And then Evan's going to be on an episode with in us. November. Yes. For Tender as the Flesh. Yes. So make sure on this coming, I guess it's going to be a Tuesday, check out the Left of the Projector if you want to hear more of me and Mariah talking about things, especially other than books. But I do think we ended up talking about books somewhat. We have a really solid Marxist analysis for that movie. The People Under the Stairs is the movie. Very great critique of landlordism and just understanding the political climate of the time that it was posted and just talking more broadly about Wes Craven's movies um, a little bit. It was just, it was good. It was a good fun time. It was fun. It's definitely very interesting to do a podcast to like a third person with us because like sometimes right. like we have our like our silences and then Evan is just there to fill it. So. But yes, yeah, so that is our official collaboration with Left of the Projector, and then in November, we will have Left of the Projector on our podcast, so make sure this Tuesday, October 25th, you are listening to People Under the Stairs. The end. Hey. Period. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's get right into the news. Not like Keemstar's thing. So, The Masters of Death is about a real estate agent. The only real estate agent is a vampire, and the house she has to sell is haunted, and the ghost haunting the house has been murdered. She has no idea how he died. The book is also about a medium, and through this particular medium is definitely a shameless fraud. He isn't entirely without his uses, seeing as he's actually the godson of death. When Viola Merrick seeks out Fox Demora to help her ghost-infested mansion, he becomes inextricably involved with a quest that neither he nor V expects or wants. But with the help of an unruly poltergeist, a demonic personal trainer, a sharp-voiced angel, and a love-stricken reaper, and a few high-functioning creatures, V and Fox soon discover the difference between a serious lost love and an annoying dead body isn't nearly as distinct as they thought. This is from her website. Out. That's much better than the Goodreads one. Alright, so... Let's get right into it. Author. Ah, Olive Blake. So Olive Blake. Which is a pen I think she's in her 30s. She's Um, younger. Is she younger than that? No, I just meant like she was younger in general. Like not old. Oh, okay, okay. Her legal name is Alexine Farrell 
Falmouth, and she goes by Ozzy Blake. She used to post anonymous fanfiction by that pen name, Real. and then it looks like she just adopted it and has just owned it, which is well, kind of Well, some cool. of her novels are still published under her real name. I think her young adult novels are published under her real name still, and then official, like, adult novels. Like, some of them are published under her real name. I don't understand, like, what specifically makes I just know some of them are published under that. She is most known for her book, Atlas Six. It's a series. Um, it is? Yeah, there's the third book is coming out January. The politics of Olive Blake is really interesting. It, she has not made like a firm stance on being like a socialist or a leftist. Or, she stated she was progressive, I'm pretty sure. And she said she's on the left, which she I mean, also has. It's a very broad. Yeah, she has Tumblr posts from 2020, and she talks about imperialism and the economic system that we live we live under, and how uh, this false dichotomy of the two party systems that in the United States we live under. Very interesting what she says, and also with the content of Masters of Death, it does lead me to believe that maybe she's like a social democrat or a democratic socialist. Um, we don't know I'm her still not sure. specific ideologies on like socialism as a transitionary state or communism or even what she has said about specifically communism and I'm not sure if that's just because like her books are very popular and especially them being very popular in like a capitalist society like this if you go start condemning capitalism without having like the background of already doing that I feel like that can negatively affect or maybe book sales or like chances of getting a publishing author or a publishing you wrote a proper review or no just a couple no, just a few little just a little just a little something something you know well i can go first since you don't have a proper this is just basically what i wrote on goodreads so um i gave masters of death a five star anybody knowing me i do not give out five stars hardly very often it's technically my fourth five-star read of the year because I did read Coraline this year, so that's a five-star read. But I don't really count that because, like, I read it before and, like, I knew it was going to be a five-star. But, like, my – so technically it's, like, my third five-star five read of the year. Which anybody that knows me, my first two five-star reads of this year were the King of Scars duology, which are, like, amazing. They're so good. I could rave about those all day. But then Masters of Death is actually... I don't think I liked it more than Rule of Wolves or King of Scars. But it's definitely very much up there. Especially for book talk books. Anything book talk related is usually... I wouldn't say... I usually say the best they usually get is about four stars. Like, they're never anything amazing. But I thought this was like a beautiful book. It's really oddly written but i think once you get into it you kind of get over like how it's kind of written because some of like the chapters are kind of written in like second person point of view which is not something that i think is very much in fiction books at all but i thought it was like a beautiful story talking about how like humanity is and life and about how like good it can be because it is so limited basically which like you kind of don't get that i guess from like the summary of that it's kind of like existential in a way i agree i also rated it uh very highly i think it's about a 4.5 star uh in my books i did like the diversity of the characters the multiple point of views i thought the writing 
I know some people critique Olivia Blake's writing, but I thought it was quite whimsical. It painted a really good picture with having it written the way it was. I liked her vocabulary overall. There's a lot of banter, which if you're not into that, maybe be warned by it, but it's not unbearable in my opinion. I do like the re- this, what is it? Like a multi-religious aspect to it, mm-hmm. which was fun. I like there's queer characters. Yes. Just, it was a good time. It really does. Um, it did something that I have never like consumed in a book. I never had this kind of experience with a read. And I think that's why I rate it so high because it's so different it is from very any unique. book that I have read. Yeah. But I do think that like if anybody, if you've like read Six of Crows and you like Six of Crows, I do think this is kind of like in that same like sort of like found family like era with like, the, since there's so many different characters, there's like a good like, what, like six of them or something that are like kind mm-hmm. of like the main group. And they all kind of like... But, like, anybody that's a part of, like, the found family trope, I think it is very similar. You've read Six of Crows as well. We haven't really discussed it on mm-hmm. here. But, like, I think with, like, the Six of Crows banter and stuff like that, where Six of Crows has, like, their pairings in, like, a way with, like, Matthias and Nina, and then you have Inej and Kaz, and then you have uh, Wylan and Jesper. Like, they're all kind of, like, grouped up. Kind of, like, how this is as well. Like, I think it definitely it's like remnants of like how six of crows is if you like that like familial dynamic that like characters have and it definitely i think it is a mostly focused like character-based story if you like that then this book is at least like worth reading i think and the characters are flawed in a very relatable way very natural appreciate that they don't completely overcome those flaws in the same way that like Leah Bardot writes um, like Six of Crows or Shadow Bone like you know like the characters aren't perfect protagonists they have serious character flaws but they work through those things but it's not completely resolved in the end so it leaves it more realistic it's I don't know like you feel satiated at the end of reading I think with it kind of being more like too because like I like it's been this book is fantastical but it's also very much set in like reality as well like at least like where like six of crows not to compare it too much to crows or even talk about six of crows too much i do think like with six of crows being in like a different world from our own majority of the time and like characters that have never lived in worlds from our own masters of death is able to be more relatable in that way it's more along the lines of like a crescent city type modern day technology and whatnot but also the fantasy i don't know what that's considered yeah like you, modern it's fantasy. Like the, but not like the zootopia aspect no I, well it i it's not like zootopia where like it, there's like different creatures than like uh some of the main characters one of them is uh like a vampire um as aswang because he's from the philippines and like he got turned into the, like this vampire in the Philippines, and then like there's demons and there's angels and there's reapers and demigods like from the Norse mythology demigods specifically, and I think it's definitely since it's like so like fantastical in that way and it is like kind of like pulling from so many different like mythologies in different ways. It's interesting then compared to like six of crows or something where they just have like their kind of like one magic system 
and then I can see how it is kind of like Crescent City in a way, but I feel like Masters of Death does it better because it's not like focused on like, I pulled out my cell phone and FaceTimed blah blah blah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I do think that's one of my like biggest, especially like the first time reading Crescent City, that was like my first like modern fantasy I read. This is like a slap in the face. Like you get beat down with like, we went clubbing and did drugs and you're like, what? <laughs> it's a very big change from like the high fantasy, mm-hmm. even though I think this is still considered like relatively like Crescent City is considered quite high fantasy. Um, I don't know if this would but, be considered high fantasy because I don't think it's very. I don't think so. I think maybe if it was more of like a series or something, like if there's more like world building and stuff like that. Because I mean, they're in Chicago, like I Chicago, think that's Illinois. Why people would like this too is not everyone is allured to that big world building mm-hmm. where you're spending the first fifty to a hundred pages just learning the dynamics and the layout of, of the like, world you're the going government. to be immersed in. <laughs> Um, yeah it kind of just gets straight into it it is definitely it's not important it's about the characters like you 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 live like more than likely you live in like a big city or you've been around a big city where you're able to understand like the basic dynamics of like a woman trying to sell a house or like even though like fox he's the main character even though he's like a medium it's not like it's like so fantastical it's just like how you have like palm readers nowadays or like people that work at like different like sort of like tarot readings and stuff like that that's kind of like fox's job where it's not like anything that's like where he works in a dusty old tavern hiding in the corner talking to ghosts and he doesn't even like wait so like it kind of follows are we gonna get into the spoilers? Not like superly. I was just saying, like specifically, like if you are somebody who hasn't read this or hasn't heard about it, you should check it out, especially because it follows Fox and V are kind of like the two like different sides of like the main characters. They their kind of groups are kind of what ends up combining Fox with Cal and Mayra and Brant. They kind of end up combining with Tom and V and Isis own group sort of beforehand but it doesn't this one thing of it's kind of book does not follow a linear timeline it jumps back and forth quite a bit where like you'll be reading like one scene and then it'll have like a page break and then it'll be like something that happened hundreds of years ago or like a few days ago or like something like that like it's not very linear timeline so that's something that you're kind of like is somebody's into where like you have to have like this happened and then this happened and this happened i don't think masters of death would be a good read for you it's definitely a little confusing at first too because it kind of does jump around a lot especially with so many characters but i do think like the overall arching story is so nice that you can overcome it it kind of just follows like fox Demora, who is Death's godson, and he kind of has to, like, team up with V because she is a real estate agent that's trying to sell a house, and it's haunted by Thomas Edward Parker IV. And I think if any of that sounds interesting to you, you really should check it out. Like, if you're into, like, Six of Crows or anything like that, any type of, like, I feel like SJM readers could be into this. Like, anybody that reads anything fantasy... Does a standalone book 
to swap it up and maybe to pull out your heartstrings. Yes. It's a really good option. Yeah. I, You're I, in a book slump. Pick this up. Yeah. Well, because I read this in September. I read in August. I think September. That was like my best book month. I read six books. It's a lot for me. I know that's like change for you, but it was a good month for me. During this month, I've only finished one book and it was trash. But that's Three. spoilers for another episode. But anyways, so we can move on specifically to spoilers for Masters of Death to truly dissect and talk about these characters and maybe some of their quotes and things like that. Because actually, there's a lot of like pretty like left wing politically quotes where it's like one quote. I think this might be my favorite quote. In the whole book, which is, like, with these, like, random characters that are not even, like, relevant at all. Like, they're they're not relevant to the story. But, like, B is, like, new to, like, the supernatural world. And so she's sort of learning how to, like, navigate her way through this. And she jo- ends up joining, like, a supernatural support group sort of thing. And so some of the characters are from that. And, like, one of the my favorite parts is, like, whenever they they have to go, because we're in the spoilers, so, like, whenever they have to go to Death's Tables, like, Raphael and the other Archangel, Gabriel, go up to wherever Fox is, and they're like, hey, bro, you gotta go save your, uh, your godfather, like, because Death has been kidnapped, and they're like, well... If I'm gonna go, then like everybody like in my group has got to go. Like we are, we're all going to this whole like to save death. We can't, I can't just go by myself, sort of thing. And so they're like, well, we need. I think to it's fig- important to talk about like the game because like the game is a center focus where they talk around it, and you don't know anything about this game until the end. I feel but like all you are told so many times like the only rule because there's no rules except one, and it's don't lose. Yes, and you're being hinted. And thrown bones the whole time about like this game and how all these people have either gained or lost something. But they're from not this people. Game. No humans are allowed to play. Only like creatures, right? Only creatures, but also, like, like how that's affecting anything their that like that's immortality. Yeah, anybody that's like immortal. So like all of the gods. There's like references to Greek gods, Norse gods. Like any time. I mean, the real like real god is like represented like. Jesus H. Christ, like, all of them are even represented where, like, you know? <laughs> I didn't know his middle name was H. <laughs> you never heard that? Like, goddamn, but not as bad, I guess. But, like, with these tables and stuff, basically all that it's, like, mentioned is that, like, anybody who's, like, immortal or, like, has, like, significant powers, they go to play this game. And you don't know why, but most of the time, the thing is, is that they play death. So, like, death is, like, the owner of these tables. And most of the time, they lose or they tie with death. You can't beat death in this game. There's no way to beat him. You either tie or you lose. And the people that, and, like, the things that participate in this game, the things that they lose are usually pretty, like, detrimental things. Because, like, the only way that you can do it is if you have, like, a hard bargaining chip, basically. Right? You agree? To lose, Wait, like say that again. Like the only to lose, lose the game, like you have to be. But the only way they nothing. can play the game is that you have to have like something high to bargain 
with, basically. Like, I feel like death I is guess. very... I thought they just let any, like, Joe Schmo play. I didn't think so. They were, like, very picky because, like, he wouldn't want to let Brant play or, like, anything like that. Which, Brant is a demigod that's, like, one of the main characters within it. But anyways, they're, like, death is kidnapped and so the tables... The tables apparently haven't been ran in, like, a while, according to some of the people. But they're like, hey, you have to go find death, and the only way you can find death is if you, a human, plays the game. Fox Namor is 100% human, though he's been living for hundreds of years, because his godfather is death, and I guess death just didn't have the heart to kill him. Or no, he. That's like what we're no, I think he's given the. Yes, he's given the, the watch. watch yes, Father Time or whatever. that Brant stole to give to Fox because he was so selfish. He could not give Fox up until he did give Fox up. But anyways, what I was just saying, one of my favorite quotes is like whenever. So they're trying to figure out how to get Thomas Edward Parker the fourth, Tom Parker, Tom. They're trying to get him out of the house because they're trying to go figure out how to get to these games and stuff like that. But with Tom's whole story, he was murdered in, like, he says he doesn't live there, or does he live there in, like, the Parker Mansion? It's, like, this big... I don't think he lives in it. He lives somewhere adjacent. I think it's important to acknowledge that Thomas Parker IV is a Nepo baby. Millionaire. product of generational wealth for reasons that you find out later in the book, but... He gets killed in that dimension. He gets murdered. And, and yeah. we're trying to, well, because, like, the whole thing with ghosts, you, like, get, you, you die, you have unfinished business, that's why you're haunting the space or whatever. And according to Tom, he has no unfinished business. He has, and so their, like, next best thing is, like, all right, we find out who murdered you, then you're off to see the wizard, whatever it is, we're done with you. But anyway, so then they figure out how to get how to let tom freely roam without being like stuck in the house is because there's like some clause in like one of the contracts that like his great grandma made or whatever whenever they first made the parker mansion is that someone has to be living in the house like at all times like it's not like it's never to be turned into a museum never to be turned into a shopping mall like this clause is that someone has to be living in this house. And because of this clause, because nobody owns the house, Tom is stuck there until someone moves into that house. So I guess his grandparents, like, and there's, there's you end up finding out that, like, there's, like, a Parker curse where, like, all of his, like, elder male familial members have, like, died prematurely. But they're, I don't, I think maybe all of them have been murdered specifically. I don't know. I don't know if they've all heard. I don't know if that's like their thing. I just know there's like a curse with it. But anyways, the quote is that um, they figure out how they can get Tom out of there is if they sell the house to someone and someone moves in. So people that are from these like uh, support group come over and they're like, oh, we'll buy the house. Like we don't have that much money. But we'll buy it so that you guys can take Tom with you and we'll, like, house it or whatever. We'll be living here for, like, the weekend while you guys are gone. And they're like, okay, well, how much do you have? And then they're like, and then this is, like, the official quote. And he's like, I had $10, 7 now, Sly said, holding up a Diet Coke. I bought a pop on the way here. Louisa, gaping. For $3? That's thievery. 
fly taking a languid sip. Capitalism, the worst of all mortal inventions. Brant to no one and to no one's notice. Not sure greed would agree. Which I think... It's just funny because there's a lot of little jobs at capitalism throughout yeah. the entire book. And, and they're very... They're funny and yeah. if you're class conscious or have any sort of like understanding of like anti-capitalist ideology or why that's bad like it's very it's fun it's just yeah. like a good little like haha so uh, silly egg. yeah because it doesn't necessarily like play into the overall like storyline yeah that's the thing is that i think and i want to say that's something that like i can appreciate so much about this story is that like in most books and especially like book talk books you read them and they're so like anti-political and i don't mean that as like they're like conservative or liberal they just like actively like avoid mentioning mom's trying to record a podcast i'm busy right now i can't give you emotional labor you're right though about a lot of book talk just like mainstream um, I think mainstream that in get general, very popular, yeah. they are very apolitical intentionally, yeah. um, and that frustrates me a lot when I'm reading through them because you know there'd be like certain the end, situations that happen where it's like if you just like mention like something about it, then like you could sort of like see where like things were like happening. You, do you know? Like I can't think of any specific examples. I guess I guess I'm kind of like. Crescent City, I think, could be another example. Not to, like, compare them in ways. But, like, Crescent City, like, critiques, like, authority in certain ways. But then they also don't, like, acknowledge the fact in, like, other ways. Yeah, that's a resounding theme throughout the whole, like, SJM verse is this critique of the class-based system that they live under. Whether it is, uh, like, feudalism or mercantilism, whichever... They don't say specifically, you're reading, yeah. You know, they, they, but they make mention of the fact that there is a class-based yes. system. There is a ruling class and a subordinating class. Um, but then can the solution is very kind of centrist or up in the air where it falls back on like, oh, um, fulfilling the, the king's chair will bring you back like in Lord of the Rings. It's a very like Victorian or Edwardian um trope that was super popular and i get why it's in a lot of high fantasy but reading a lot of that nowadays i feel like we could do more yeah especially you now with like our current political climate i feel like there is no way you can avoid politics i mean it's all over social media it's all over the news it's all over everything like anything you can this book was such a breath of fresh air Compared to what we read, I, I've read a lot of shit off of Book Talk, and this was the first one that I was like, "Oh my god, yes, finally something." Well, because, even to like reference like the perfect marriage and stuff like that, like it talks about specifically like the corruption and like the police and stuff like that, but then it doesn't like scoop into it at all. It's like all very surface level, and it's not like I think this book is like doing a great critique on like capitalism or anything, but it making like it's so like casual can make it very entertaining to read i think where you're and just it doesn't feel but this like fan servicey like... yeah like this like, is not just like super random but it is relevant in some instances mm. where i find it enjoyable because like at least like with the overarching story and stuff i don't think the overarching story with like fox going to play the tables and stuff is very like political in any sense and stuff like that 
what made us decide to do this is just because there are like a few like little like gaps and stuff to like capitalism and things like that where we have a few other quotes where it's like specifically talking it kind of like in a more like general sense as like maybe like your average fantasy would but it does get more specific comparatively to other books. But you can tell that these are conversations between creatures that hold progressive values. Yes. Did you hear the spooky music? No. I don't okay. hear it. Okay. No, pretend <laughs> like he's not playing it. Um, yeah, all of these creatures have very progressive values, and you can see it with Except for jobs, Tom Parker. Except for Tom Parker, which who is I think is more of a centrist. Yes, but yeah, there's he's jobs like, about Reaganomics yeah. and the NRA and what else? Um, the they, fortunes off the backs of an unlivable minimum wage, kind mm -hmm. of shitting on billionaires and mega churches, which was super interesting to see in a book. Yeah, but she does at the very end of this book, and I don't know if you caught it as well when she's. Uh, v is talking to Tom Parker, like they've gone through the games and whatnot, and I can't remember who it is. I oh, think it's about him, like Myra, oh. or somebody's talking about the Ledgers and how Tom was never really a Republican. Oh yeah, um, he was something else, and that he's not really a billionaire. He's a millionaire because of his he donated so much. Yeah, work, like in that, therefore, like raises his. Where he was His more likely to go level. to, like, heaven or whatever the afterlife, like, the positive afterlife then. Because... But if you know anything about charity work, you know it's an industry within itself, and it's not meant to do anything to solve poverty. A lot of the times there's all of these loopholes and... It ends and up being more beneficial for the rich person anyways within tax write-offs and things like that. And why is there, like, CEOs and, like, a board... At these charities, like it's not a they're a not doing it out of the goodness of their heart in general, which I so don't very passionately because it's not mutual aid. Mutual yeah. aid is going to do more than these like philanthropic work. But I don't Phila whatever. How do you say it? You know what I mean? Philanthropic. It's hard. It's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but I'm just not sure. I don't know like how well educated either all of you. Blake is on like that specifically like within like mutual aid and stuff like that because like you can tell a lot at least in this book like a lot of her quotes are very like surface level where she talks about like eat the rich and stuff like that which is like things that like it's very much giving like leftist vibes and I'm using leftist as derogatory not in a positive way <laughs> do you remember like the the Bernie girl that got really popular oh nico lols is that who okay she was boomer with the blue shirt yeah yes the okay boomer yeah that's nico lols the, the Cha Chan. she changed her name on tiktok so that's a discussion for another time yeah <laughs> i don't know like it definitely like some of it's the doing lip service yes and i sell it and i do worry that that's what this is because it's like it's not bad i enjoy it. i don't think it's like over the top i think with it being but... so casual it doesn't come across that way but then i do agree like with the ending with like 
Um's philanthropy is like, well, if all the billionaires just gave their money away, then we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> like, I didn't like the fact that V ended up with Tom. Yeah, that was like she was a working class woman. Yeah, for the most part, like she was just a real estate agent. Yeah, um, marrying a billionaire, or, like ending up with a or a millionaire. But then so he's Neffle, not baby. a billionaire anymore, though, because in his new life, since he died officially, and he, like, spoilers, obviously, from the end of the book, but he comes back as, like, a human again, so he has to change his name. So he doesn't have that wealth anymore at the end. So, I mean, really, the rich died. I mean, what more could so, he ask for? I was thinking for? about that, too, like, his whole... Like the resolution to him, and I mean, who knows where his money ends up going after that? Because like he didn't have any kids or anything, and I don't know if they can like make it so that he has access to that because he's not alive anymore or anything, or like unless he's gonna be like, oh, I claim to be long lost brother or something. I don't like they don't really resolve that in the end. I don't know. Like we need like an epilogue where it's like whether or not he became. What happened class. with the Parker family fortune? Yeah. But yeah, I do think with, like, like casual mention of it, I think is a good start, at least, for, like, anybody who is, like, into socialism and stuff like that. Because, like, I think that's one thing, too, that kind of is, like, a stereotype for, like, communists and socialists, that they can't enjoy, like, things that happen within capitalism, like, reading books or, like, going to Disney World or something like that. Like, you can still do that. You just have to critically analyze... Like, what puts you in the position to be able to go on, like, these nice trips and things like that and, like, critically understand? Because nobody's, like, being like, you can't go on vacation, you can't do fun things if you're a socialist because we live under capitalism. And I think that's something that kind of gets, like, pushed under the rug, I guess. Or it's like, you can't do fun things if you're... They, I do notice that there is this expectation amongst a lot of, like, comrades. Um, I don't know if it's... I think it's the more ones like, that are a little antisocial, where they're like, you need to be like dying for the cause every day, which I I understand a lot, but I don't think everyone is able to do that. Yeah, like people have kids, mm-hmm. people have families they have to take care of. So it's like, what about them? Like, yeah, there's got to be ways that they can do praxis, and then also, without, I don't know. Li- we only have one life too, so it's like, what do we? How do we? find that balance mm-hmm. i do think that's something that's like well because like you want to be able to go like on like whether it's like traveling to like europe or something to go like try the fine wines in italy or something like that or it's going to disney world or taking a beach vacation or something like that where people other i feel like and i think it's definitely more of like a very much like online people that don't go touch grass situation where they're like that money could have been spent towards like mutual aid or like where you're funding some type of like i don't know anything that's like not specifically for fun do you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah a lot of people just have like that miscommunication where it's like it'd be one thing people were going to hawaii or Mm -hmm. something like where we've been told not to do that like Mm -hmm. listening I feel like there's a way to do it without compromising your values. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the trick. Like maybe if you have the money 
to buy a house, like everyone should be able to own their own home. That's not like antithetical to what we stand for, but maybe don't buy a gaudy house. Yeah, like you don't if like, you if you're two people living in a house, you don't need like a se- seven bedroom home. You know, like that's like one thing where it's like exactly. criticized. And I actually do think this story kind of like goes into like accepting the positives and negatives of people speaking about Brant specifically because he's kind of a shithead like throughout throughout the whole book majority of the book until like the last like 50 pages and you're like oh because like his whole storyline honestly is kind of confusing because he's a demigod but he's immortal and in norse mythology well i'm not very well versed in norse mythology but i know like at least all of the gods are not immortal that's why they have those apples that they eat they eat like from the tree of life where they're supposed to sustain sustain the gods until Valhalla, which is like the big war that like Vikings fight in, which is like what a terrible afterlife. Like your it's idea, perpetual war. It's like a, a big feast. It's not perpetual. It's like a big war that's supposed to be like between like the gods and like whatever. Where like it destroys all of humanity and stuff like that, and that's what they like live for is to like. Go die in the Bian War. (laughs) And then, like, it's, like, a really, like, and that's, like, what the gods are, like, preparing for is, like, Valhalla. And, like, I don't know, like, what happens after that. Like, if the Viking dies in, like, Valhalla. But I just know it's, like, really weird. Like, it's, like, but Brant, specifically, like, he wants immortality. He's very much afraid of death. Not like afraid of not afraid of death is like the character death is like dying, ceasing to to being yes an, an end yes. to existing. Um, and so he basically there's in Norse mythology. I don't recall her name. I don't know if you remember her name. The lady that protects the tree of life, or like I don't know if she like, like protects I, it or. Like, in, but it had like the O with the, the cross through it. Oh, I don't know. Right? I don't know. But this woman was... that he kind of like, I don't know what to describe what he does for her. He's he's like her little servant boy, where he has brings her the world. Like that's his purpose, his job for her is to bring her the world. So it starts with him talking about stories that happen on the earth, being like a messenger of sorts. And then bringing experience, like physical experience, to her by like via pleasure. Yes. And then it becomes more where he talks about like his emotions and is able to like articulate what he's feeling throughout everything that happens. So he keeps a like a ledger or a journal with him at all times so that he can bring this to her in exchange for the apples that sustain his immortal existence. Yes. Because he's doing it so that at one point in time. He wants selfishly to be with Fox. Yes. By he's in love with Fox. And he's, he's working every angle he can because he makes a big mistake when he's You he's can gambling. talk about it. I guess, yeah. It was like we're in the spoilers, Joy. We're in the spoiler zone. He goes to the tables for a second time. and After he right? went there, because he went there once. He went there the first time and lost his truths because he had yes. nothing to lose but his truths. So he can only and talk he also, around things. I'm pretty sure he stole the watch then too. 
Yeah, and then he goes back again to he's, try to win, and he loses, and then he lo- he can't see Fox anymore. That's what anymore. because Death uh, as a character does not like Brant at all. He thinks he's annoying. He's full of himself, which is very much true. He he's exactly right. And Death is very protective of Fox as well, where he's very much like he doesn't think anybody would be good enough for Fox in any way, shape, or form. Like, he very much holds Fox up on his pedestal because this is Death's, like, one and only child. Like, he's raised Fox from his birth, which, like, at the beginning of the book, that's kind of, like, the intro into Death and Fox's character, where he's raised Fox since he was a baby, and he loves Fox so much that he even changed, like, how he looks and made himself look human to raise Fox because he loved him as a child so much and he loves him now so much. Where but he doesn't know what love is because he's a mortal being. So in trying to protect Fox, he ends up He ends up going him. too far, yes. Where Because he doesn't understand that, like, relationship love in a way. And I think that's one thing. Because, like, I do think he very clearly loves Fox. Even though he doesn't understand, like, that emotion that he feels that is something very clearly he is feeling for Fox. And so, with that, he is overprotective of Fox in very many ways where he's unable to truly... I guess he tries to protect him from Brant, and so that's why whenever Brant comes to the table for the second time, because I think originally Brant wanted, like and unconditional support from death for the relationship where he was not able where he that's what he was gambling where he he thought he could win where he could have like fox all in all the ways that he wanted him to be like a true like unit with him because i guess that's something that like to have like your parental blessing within like a relationship and so but then he loses that and then Fox ends up perpetuated like ends up hating him because of that but then they all get resolved in the end and they all have a happy ever after they become boyfriends again in the end it's a hard book to talk about because of the overall structure of it mm-hmm. you know like because it, it bounces around and there's so much that's happening but at the same time a lot of it is just dialogue so like when we're talking about this it's hard to like do it in a linear fashion because of how it's the book not linear at all and i'm realizing it now as we're trying to like discuss it because like you have to go because like it'll be like present day and then it'll go into the past like while like certain situations are happening it'll go five minutes into the past yeah like it'll be like right before <laughs> like right before <laughs> brant showed up but like it'll be like oh well we had this whole conversation like, oh, we're having this conversation and Brant shows up. Well, this just happened right before Brant was here in many ways. And so it is kind of, like, confusing to talk about. But I do think at this point I would hope you read the book or at least are going to, I guess. I feel like if you're at this point, you might as well, you should read the book, like, if you haven't. But I don't know. I think it's very nice to see, too, like, queer romance that isn't like inherently like sexualized in a way because i do think at least with a lot of like um book talk and sort of like that whole like tumblr-esque like 
gay male like novelizations it's always like inherently like sexual in ways and like written like kind of like red white and royal blue or like uh another you know what i'm saying like those like fan fictiony like tropey things where i think this is something where it's very much like it's a love story but it's also not a love story it's in many ways. a story about being able to overcome your own demons for for like the greater good like yeah that's like the whole premise of the tables is you're fighting your own demons you're like fighting to- yourself and like what you believe and what you've seen in your life yeah and like the the immortals are they crave they, that like, humanity is what they want because they are able to experience it but they also want to live forever but in order to live forever you basically have to sacrifice all of your emotions because yeah. Because like you don't need them after a certain point. And that's one thing, too, because, like, one thing, the reason why people love so hard and they love so much is because, like, that person, whether it's the person that they're with or their pet or whatever, that thing is going to die. And you know that time that you have with your family member, your significant other, your pet is so limited. But you always are craving to spend time with them, be with them, do things with them specifically where if you were an immortal creature and your partner whatever like you want to do is also immortal it doesn't mean as much because it's like well i always have next week to do it sort of thing or like i have it we have infinity together and so it's not as specifically like there's no stakes in it versus i think being and i think that's one thing too that a lot of like people forget as well and i think this is why this book can be like a good reminder of that is that like whenever you have like a familial member or a friend or a family member or a pet or a significant whatever it is that you enjoy spending time with and stuff like that you push it off in certain times and then whenever they die you always end up regretting it so much or like oh we didn't do this enough together or we didn't do this enough together and the reason why it means so much is because that time that thing can specifically end versus like it's op- so different than a lot of mainstream fantasy novels where the premise of the book like avatar we always come back to or throne of glass whatever is being able to live forever with the love of your life so that the love can continue on but this kind of played into this a different whole like trope or genre mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe it where you're it talks about more content with just enjoying the little things like understanding kind of that like, the moment yeah like you know that your time is short and that's one thing too that I think is really beautiful at the end too because like earlier in the book you find out that like Fox is immortal because he has father time's watch or whatever and he wears it all the time so that he doesn't age and he doesn't get older and stuff like that. And Brant selfishly did that because he was selfish in himself where he didn't want to cease to be. So he was like, I don't want the love of my life to cease to be. And of course, he doesn't tell Fox any of this because he can't. But then also because like, I feel like even if he could tell Fox, even if he didn't like lose his truths, he would have been suspicious about it anyways, just because he's kind of like like that and like the way his character is but then in the end Brant gives up 
like getting the apples of life and like fox doesn't want his watch anymore like they know that like how great like just having this time on earth together being with each other is worth being you know and like it's sad but it's also like it's sweet it's like, it's, it's just, poetic I don't know. It's, just, it's so like heartwarming yeah oh my fucking god i like, know i want this you're like wow like having someone that you actually want to like choose to spend your time your limited time with is such like a commitment to and i think that's something that like even though they've had hundreds of years together, hundreds of years together is still so limited compared to, like, an immortal being. And I think even, like, Death himself was selfish in ways, or, like, he being Fox around whenever he should have died hundreds of years ago. But it's just a very sweet book. And, like, even in the end, you would think that, like, the only people that kind of get, like, their infinity, it's kind of, like, almost like the Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> and I think maybe that's why I'm so, like bias towards this book in a way just because i think anything that kind of like reminds you that like hey you know your time is limited and you don't have <laughs> forever and Mariah's is walking around so it's changes your perspective it does it, um, it, i feel like it doesn't change your perspective because you always know like that it, like it forces you to it, it makes you think about values. it yeah it makes you realize that like yeah like because you know everyone knows like I only have, like, 40, 50 more years left on this earth. I mean, like. Which is super depressing. It is depressing <laughs> to like, think about. Like, it's not that long. Yeah, because, like, you've already, like, I've already, like, a, I'm, if I live to be 100, I'm, like, almost a quarter of way done. And more than likely, we're not going to live to 100 because, especially with late not stage with capitalism. Attitude. Well, I just mean, like, with our current, like, living standards, you know, like. and like You the, don't think the pollution is going to help? I maybe, but like especially. Like, I mean, this is all assuming like the Earth isn't gonna end in like in twenty times. Yeah, this is assuming that we get to live our full like natural lives in ways. But I think that's something that like it kind of reminds you to like hug your boyfriend more. I guess that's kind of sad to say, but like hug your like long term partner because I do think that's something that happens whenever you are with like the same person. For so long, that's something you don't think about. Like the the doing, like spending this little bit of time together to like watch a movie together or something like that is kind of like something that's not something so focused on in like relationships or like even like because like my cat died in July and it was very sad for me because she was like my cat that I've had since I was like four or five years old and she was is she like, not in the background. Um, she is right here. She can see her. He's making me assemble a puzzle, so I'm doing the border of it so that he can do the rest. Okay, do see, the hard you're part. complaining about this time hanging out with him. I know, right? But that's entirely what this book is about. It is sad though, because like your kids do grow up so fast that like you do regret. Obviously, a lot of like things. like even if you spend all the time in the world with them, like it's they just grow so fast. But like with Lola, like gotta... we didn't have I didn't have any pictures of her from like a kitten. Like the first photos that I have from her, like from like twenty thirteen. Because like yeah. She was born in like two thousand four or something. She's old. And so like by the time that like 
I had like a camera that I could regularly take photos on where like I could post them to like with social media and stuff getting big. Like she's already gr a grown woman. She's already almost elderly. So like it was just like really sad to like think about too because like I just think about like then it like makes me happy because then I like think about like oh like the reason why I was able to cherish like my time with her is because it was so limited. If she just lived forever, I would I would have taken her for anyway you know I mm -hmm. feel like and I feel like as a kid when you do have like an animal growing up you kind of do take them for granted like I remember mm -hmm. having a dog named Roxy Roxy the doxy who's dog sound or however you say it Doxon? weenie dog yeah yes oh. that's better <laughs> but I used to have she Dotsons. was always around dachshunds I had Dotsons. I had two they one of them died too whenever I was younger I don't have any pictures of him, Guinness and Bailey. She died like a couple years ago, and it was just—it was just so weird to think like she went through like all the big life moments through me, and I kind of just pushed it aside. You know, you take it for granted. Well, see, it's like, like, oh, I'm busy. Well, like for Lola, like it feels so bad too because I moved out of my parents' house and I couldn't take—I probably could have taken Lola with me. I wish I did, but like. Like, Lola was my cat, and then Lola kind of, like, adopted Emma. But you could tell she did not like Emma as much as she liked me as my cat. And so, like, it was just really sad to, like, think about because, like, she's a cat, so she didn't have, like, the understandings of, like, whenever I moved out. And, like, she didn't, she went from seeing me every day for, like, 15 years to, like, never seeing me at all. And so then it's very, it's very hard, too, because, like, I only got to see her, like, whenever I went to go visit my parents, which was not as often as I guess it should be so then I never got to see her as often and now even like going to my parents now and like she's not there to like walk up to me as soon as I walk in the door she would always do that whenever I showed up at my parents like she would hear me upstairs and she would come upstairs and sit on my lap or something like that and so it's just very sad because like it's sad but then it's also like I'm so glad I did get to have that like I got to have her in my life even if it was just for you know, twenty years, but <laughs> like the saddest thing about pets is because you and even people. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people too, but pets especially like you can form such a like big emotional bond with them, mm -hmm. but they only live like fifteen years, Barely, twenty years. Yeah. And well, well, Lola so. lived for a long time, like twenty years. Like I think for cats, it's like fourteen to sixteen years is like like standard. And she lived, I think she was 19 when she died. So that's a good three years after, like, her expiration date, kind of. But, like... Life is weird. Yeah. But then the ending of this book, like, I think that also, like, makes me tear up to, like, the last, like, thing where it's, like... Is that, like, where it goes from third person to second person again? Like, where it's death talking to the author? Yes. Where it's, like, uh... In any case, I have a number of things to do, so I'm going to leave you with this. Try not to take it personally when I see you again. It's bound to happen, after all, and I'd like to be able to keep it friendly between us if we can. We're both sim simply fulfilling our purposes, aren't we? You're immortal and I'm death. It could have never gone any other way. Like, it's so beautiful. It's like making you tear up. <laughs> a lot of people don't think, or they try not to think about death. This is what I've noticed. Like, when I worked in memory care, Mm -hmm. You're surrounded by it all the time, especially like the cottages that I took care of. It was like the very, very end stage. So people were dying all the time and you're sitting there with them and people, the way they react to it is so strange. But when you're 
with it all the time you kind of just learn to embrace it and just like this it's is just what a bad thing to do is to like get used to it like you don't ever want to get used to death but it makes but. it less scary too like i don't think death is all that terrifying of a an experience we I all go think through it i think it's just like it's something you take it like you always think that you have more time too because i feel like even like older people like it's like the 70 years that people live in like the united states or whatever it is like 70 years sounds like a long time until you've probably lived those 70 years and like nothing it's like i'm 24 and i feel like like 24 years sounds like a long time like i think about in 24 years from now when i'm 40 something i'm like that's a long time for now but then i'm like i really don't feel like i've been alive for that long either though and i'm sure you feel the same way mm-hmm. although i did take care of people that were like in their 90s and they were just like like yeah. oh it's your birthday and they're like well how old am i now I'm like oh 94 like i'm still kicking <laughs> like, yeah, but that's sorry. like such like, a like it ends. yeah which i mean like i feel like but once you hit like that 70 mark at least like here in the united states because we don't have like very good like no offense to you, elder care. <laughs> I'm sure you're great at your elder care, but, you know, like, we have so much, like, elder abuse and things like that, and we're not such, a, like, a familial unit anymore. Once you get to that age, you're kind of just, like, waiting to die. It's, it's really sad. sad. Like, it does come down to that. Yeah. Which is very Why sad. you should treat the people in your life with kindness and compassion, and you shouldn't push them away. And spend time with your, the people that you Reject love. Reject individualism as a capitalist mindset love your community make except for unless you have the nuclear family but this is also not something too where it's like if you have like a familial member that is like verbally abusive to you or negative to you you should not you don't have to like withstand you that shit yeah. You don't owe them anything they can die, die alone it's fine there will be people to take care of them it does not no have to be feel- you yeah. Just know they will be cared for. It doesn't have to be you. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it's like take care of the people around you now so that they want to be with you through that last leg of your life. And you don't have to go get taken care of by people like Mariah. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I'll be doing TikTok dances for them. <laughs> Do we think we have any other closing thoughts? I don't think so. I just I just think this book is so like thought provoking and like it's like sad, but it's just so heartwarming in so many ways that like, and I think it is like overall a good message because I do think like this is something people never think about like this stuff. They avoid trying to think about it, and I think like warming up to the idea is like the best thing you can do. So then I think whenever you do lose somebody big in your life, then it's not as painful. Like it's still painful, but it can be. You can cherish. That's why like everyone's always like. Don't cry because it's over a smile because it happened. <laughs> Which is like the cheesiest quote, but then it's also like, yeah, you should try to look on the bright side. <laughs> bright side. And like, don't slave away at a job that doesn't value yes. you. Because you're socialized into believing that the meritocracy is like the, the peak thing that you should strive for. When in reality, just human connection is something that is... You, you it's priceless yes that's Everyone what you're old, going to miss that's what like if there is like any type of afterlife that is what you'll miss is spending time with the people that you love and the people you care about or the things you care about not 
your stupid capitalistic overlord that's stealing your surplus labor value and exploiting the shit out of you. That does not gonna matter in especially once the world is burning or whenever any of this in the future is happening. You're going to think about you're not gonna think about work. You're gonna think about the people in your life that made a positive impact on you. And I think that's what this kind of like this whole story like talks about. It's like even like you doing the right thing is something that you should strive for, but then also like making sure that you have a human connection and doing the right thing overall for the goodness of humanity with like because like fox goes and saves the entire world that's how like the entire thing sums up he saves all of humanity when he could have just said fuck it <laughs> so i think doing the right thing is kind of like and doing the right thing is being a communist or socialist i guess whatever you want to say yeah I'm not going to get into some ontological debate on, like, the philosophical, like, the the good, the intrinsic good. But I am right. Kristen is right in this. <laughs> um, do you actually have any nonfiction reads? In regards to death? Maybe not. I don't. Just, I just mean maybe, like, Mutual Aid. Who's that by? Um, Dean Spade. Yeah. Mutual Aid by Dean Spade. Which is, or like. All About Love by Bell Hooks, I think, is a good one. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Because this is kind of about love, and I know yeah. there's some bits in that book that are that not everyone resonates with, um, but I think overall, just, like, human interaction and, like, learning to love other people and what love can mean and what it ought to be, I think that's a that's a good nonfiction recommendation. I can't think of any yeah. other ones off the top of my head. Yeah. I think mutual aid is more like what we were talking about more than it has to do with the book, but... <laughs> Yeah, just my but, critique of philanthropy work. Yeah, <laughs> like, or just like philanthropy as like a concept in general. To yeah, solving poverty. Okay, well, if that's it, make sure you check us out on Patreon, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and don't forget that next week on October twenty fifth. Join us on Left of the Projector podcast on October 25th for a Marxist discussion about people under the stairs. Anything else? No, I don't think so. I apologize for the sound of small child in background, but this is a very real, real life podcast. This is not. We don't have a special studio that we can go sit in and abandon. This is what happens when you're a Marxist and a parent and you like to read books. You gotta and make we also live on the opposite sides of the country from each other. That also <laughs> makes it difficult. <laughs> but other than that, thanks for watching or listening. Or listening or whichever. Wherever you get We're your terrible. podcast. We don't have a sign off. No, we need to work. Out. We have an intro. I, I got the intro down pat. Next episode will be the duology, the housemaid and the housemaid secret. By Frida McLadden, McLadden, yeah. something like that. We'll have better research for the next episode on information about this. That's all. Signing off. I'm Kristen, your co-host. And I'm Mariah, your other co-host. <laughs> and we'll see you on October 25th on Left of the Projectors podcast.